Hey, Sober Girls. Every life choice you make has an impact, and some choices are just easier than others. An easy choice for me has been adding Exact Nature CBD into my daily routine. Exact Nature's products can help curb cravings while promoting the positive changes in mood, focus, and my favorite, sleep. These are all part of getting and staying sober. They're available in oils, soft gels, and gummies, and in varying strengths and formulas. What I love most about Exact Nature is I know the quality is top tier and safe because their products are made by people in recovery for people in recovery. Go to exactnature.com to get 20% off your order. Use code SOBERGIRL20 at checkout. Being positive is a choice. Exact Nature just makes it easier. Welcome to a Sober Girl's Guide podcast, a lifestyle podcast based on sobriety and recovery. I'm your host and sober girl, Jessica Jabot. Inspired by my own sobriety and wellness journey, I want to spread the wealth of knowledge. Tune in each week for uncensored conversations about mental health, self-development, wellness and spirituality, and how they influence each guest's unique recovery journey. My goal is to educate and inspire and to let you know you are not alone on your recovery journey. Thanks so much for tuning in to a Sober Girls Guide podcast. Let's go! Hello, hello, and welcome to episode 122 of a Sober Girls Guide podcast. On today's episode, straight out of New York, I have the Noah Shaw. Now, this inspirational, motivational man is one of the lead instructors from a little, a little organization called Soul Cycle. I don't know if you've heard of it, but Noah walks us through his amazing recovery journey. I swear this is going to be a movie. If not, it's already a book. So hang on tight and let's get into it. Spring is here, and there's no better time to redefine your relationship with alcohol than right now. The 30 Days to Gain Booze-Free Challenge will help you change your mindset around your drinking habits. With daily motivational, educational, and inspirational emails and two daily worksheets to complete, you'll be held accountable. Head to a sobergirlsguide.com and sign up today. Mr. Noah Shaw, what's going on? Hey, Jessica, how are you? I'm great. I'm fantastic. I'm talking to you. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know, you're coming to me from your bathroom. This is fantastic. I'm stuck in my bathroom because there's a lot of noise in my apartment today with the tree cutting down the ceremonial first cutting of the spring. I don't know. <laughs> I'm making shit up now. I've got a little apartment, which is like my dream apartment with a backyard and a garden and stuff like that. And then a dog. I only get an apartment for a dog. And it had this big tree that dumped a ton of leaves. It's my neighbor's tree, actually. Mm. So I want to suntan during the summer. And I want it to be clear and sunny and beautiful. So I'm having the tree removed. It's old and stupid anyway. Yeah. Got to go. Yeah, bring, so. in, bring in the new. Whereabouts in the world are you? I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Oh, nice. section of Brooklyn called Park Slope. Okay. So, yeah, it's beautiful. It's great. It's busy. It's like New York City, busy in the front of my apartment. Like, I walk out the door, there's a pizza parlor, there's massage parlors, there's, like, tattoo parlors, there's craft stores. In my backyard, you don't hear anything. Oh, I love that. The table in the back, so. You have, like, the best of both worlds. Yeah, it is. It is great. Amazing. So I, I definitely want to talk about your new book, but I want to kind of back it up and talk about how you got to this point. And if you could kind of take us through what your recovery journey looked like. Okay, I'll give you the thousand foot view because to get it in the minutiae, we need about four hours. Or you can buy my second book, which will outline my entire life story. Or my first <laughs> book, which gives you like about a third of the book is like my life story. Mm. Um, I was raised by, I have absolutely no reason to be uh, 
a drug addict and a criminal and a drug dealer and alcoholic. I was raised by the most loving, kind parents you could ever imagine in your life to mm. this day. Um, I had the parents who, during high school especially, the kids with troubled families and troubled parents, um, they'd be like, can I stay at your house for a while? And we just put them all up. We had a, we had a very nice house. We, my father, we had started out lower middle income and he'd worked real hard and he got us to this beautiful neighborhood called Fairfield County, Connecticut, this town called Stanford. So we had a three story house with like seven bedrooms and there were just kids in every bedroom, like for my high school. And they would like live there and they all had keys. And my mom was like, my mom would cook for everybody. So it was like, <clears throat> but when I was younger, we moved, um, we moved a lot and I did nine schools in 12 years in three different States, New York, New Jersey, and Connecticut. As long, far back as I can remember, there was a feeling of being less than mm. not worthy. Um, I guess they probably, you know, I don't know circumstances. I can't tell you what would happen differently, but I definitely know being the new kid all the time. Mm. You played into that because you felt like the odd kid out. And when you already feel odd and you have a weird name like Noah, you know, now it's like the most popular boy's name in America, but that wasn't the truth in the seventies. It was a weird name. Yeah. And I, everybody was like Mike and Bob and Brian and Peter and like Chris. And I wanted to be normal. Yeah. And, I had a big curly black jet black curly hair like there was like an afro and everybody else had straight hair you know so like I started to focus even at a young age like if I look back I don't know didn't notice at the time but when I look back I started separating myself I started I started pointing out in my mind what was different about me than everybody else and I had my mother drove a weird car. It was the 70s. She, she was a beatnik in the 60s. And in the 70s, late 60s, early 70s, my entire life, she was cooking healthy. She was doing then. We had a compost peep pile in our backyard when I was 10. Like things yeah. are popular now, like all organic and all fresh and all farm. She was yeah. doing that with no artificial flavors and sugar. So everything, but everything felt different. Mm. And we would go shopping and I would try to hide a, bag, a box of Pop-Tarts at the bottom of the shopping cart so she wouldn't see it, you know, or macaroni and cheese, which I would go to other kids' house and they'd be serving like, you know, all the most horrible food, but it tasted great to me. Yeah. But I saw that as normal and I saw us as weird. Mm. Um, so as a weird, as a, as a weird, not weird, but like less than or separated from, or so when I was very young, I guess about fourth grade, I would started, it was another new school and another new neighborhood. So I walked by the candy store on the way to school and I had a couple dollars in my pocket and I bought like as much candy as I could, like nickel candies. I filled this bag and I showed up at school with all this candy and everybody's like, oh my God. And I was like, who wants some? And uh. I found that I could worm my way into your good graces by supplying you with something that made you happy. I could buy off your friendship. Yes. In fourth grade, in fourth grade at 10 years old, that was candy. Mm -hmm. In ninth grade, that was cocaine. So Whoa. when I was 10 years old, um, I had a best friend, Vinny. Legally, and if you live in the Northeast, you have to have a best friend, Vinny. It <laughs> has to be an Italian family to attached to. Yeah. So I... You know, Vinny and I, one day, we took a bottle of my father's wild turkey, which he liked to drink, and we snuck off to the woods, and we drank as much as we could. We got violently ill, and I was out there the next day by myself because I just liked – it wasn't – a lot of people talk about alcoholism, and they say, oh, my God, that first drink really made me feel, like, whole again. Mm. And what that first drink did for me is it made me not feel like me because I hated to be me. Right. Being me was the worst thing possible. So anything – that made me not feel like me was good mm. even if it was damaging to me so that summer that fall i tried my vinnie's older brothers it was, this, it was like that 70s show um and that they were the older brothers and they were just feeding me drugs they were trying, like let's get you high let's try cocaine let's try acid let's try mushrooms i did basically everything by the time between 10 and between like 10 and 11 i tried every drug and I was drinking 
pretty not daily, but like as soon as often as I wanted to like sneak off and leave a bottle of bourbon in the woods and I take a couple shots and I feel warm and, and you know tingly and not like myself. Right. Um, that escalated rather quickly by the time I was 14, 15, I was day drinking. I yeah. was drinking every morning and I was drinking all day, every day. Um wow. and when I was 15 into 16, I became a drug dealer in New York City. We were living in the suburbs of Connecticut, about 40 minutes train ride from New York, like car right. ride. And I, I became a big time cocaine dealer because I fell in love with cocaine and I realized that it brought me friends. It brought me confidence. Um, it brought me status. It brought me money, which I could buy you stuff so you would like me. Mm. And so I became a raging alcoholic and a raging drug addict. My big three are bourbon, cocaine, and weed. I love those together. That's yeah. my that's my food pyramid for my life. Um, <laughs> food pyramid. <laughs> Dead. Oh my gosh. Um, wow. At such a young age. Yeah. I was, but I I I was super mature for my age. When I was yeah. uh, younger, I tested genius level IQ. And by the time mm. I in high school, I graduated in the bottom 5% of my class my senior year. Oh. That's how much I did not give a fuck about class. I did. I was. I would deal drugs and I would run errands and I would work for the mob and I would work for a bunch of people that were very illegal. Yeah. And there was money involved in all of that. I didn't understand grades. I got no satisfaction from grades. Yeah. I didn't like, it just didn't resonate with me. Like, why am I going to work all night on this paper with then somebody's going to go then they're going to criticize it mm-hmm. and i'm not ready for it because i didn't take any fucking notes i don't know what i'm talking about so why even bother mm-hmm. when i can go out at night in new york to go to studio 54 and make 40 or fifty thousand dollars, and then go back to homework at like seven o'clock in the morning i'm sorry 40 to fifty thousand dollars. so easily yeah Easily. It was crazy. It was crazy times. I was dealing. Holy shit. I was dealing more. I made more money between 16 and like 21 than yeah. I've made from 21 to 57 combined. Wow. It's all gone. I didn't save a dime. I spent yeah. it. I couldn't spend it fast enough. Yeah. Just light it on fire. <laughs> Gotta buy happiness. Yeah. Wow. So. Okay. That led to me becoming my best customer, which meant me getting in trouble with a lot of people. Um, many too, which led to contracts out of my life, which led to people trying to kill me, actively trying to kill me. I was at a restaurant one time. I was in the third story of this open air restaurant where you could see straight down the lobby. These guys grabbed me and tried to throw me off a railing. Um, I hooked my legs and a couple other guys came and grabbed me. Those guys pulled them off, grabbed me and looked me in the eyes and said, run, because they knew that I, there was contracts out of my life. Mm-hmm. These were mob guys. They were like trying to kill me. Um, I've been shot at. I've been stabbed. I've been everything because I came became, and the people I worked with and then becoming a customer who ripped people off mm. of large amounts of cocaine, you know, kilo after kilo after kilo after kilo and, and crazy people with no regard for my life because I was insignificant. Right. Um, so, you know, a lot of craziness happened. I ran away after high school. Uh, I went to Texas for college because nobody could find me yeah. because it was before internet. So you could just disappear and nobody would know where you were and like not have easy ways to get there. There wasn't jet blue flights every hour. Nobody was like chasing me into Texas. I wasn't that big. Right. I wasn't that big a problem, but they were going to look for me when I came, if I came back to New York. Um, and I avoided that every time I came home for holidays. I would have to like duck and dodge and fly in late at night and take, you know, take a limo like back straight to my parents' house. And if I would left their house and I wanted to go out, I had like duck down and take these back roads where nobody would see me to like not to avoid being caught and killed. Jesus. So, um, what did your parents think of all this? Like, did they have any idea what was going on or? They didn't, they knew that I was out of control. That I was a drug addict and alcoholic. Okay. No, they and still don't to this day know the extent of what I did. Okay. And very few people around me, even my I had friends who didn't know. I kept everything very secret. 
everything very secret. Everything was a secret. You know, I got used to this like double life. Why do you think that? Because I'm a liar. I was a liar for like most of my life. Lying came more easily than the truth. Yeah. It was just like, I didn't want anybody to know my business. And especially when you're in that business and you're dealing with the people that I was dealing with. It's yeah. not something you blurred out. It's not something you even knew. There was, there was one, per, one person I trusted that I knew that was my best friend and he's dead now, you know? And our, wow. secrets, our secrets died with him, you know? Yeah. And the things we did, the crazy, crazy, crazy things we did in the name of buying large amounts of drugs, and large amounts of cocaine and selling this. So. Wow. Okay, so, yeah. so how did it progress? So I didn't mean to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, I just, you know, I, I used up my parents' goodwill, so I had to start manipulating them. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, would, I went to rehab the first time, and it was, it, was, it was a psych institute, and I was like, no, this is not good for me. Escaped okay. from like lockdown psych unit with literally me running across the, the grounds and jumping over like a 12-foot fence with like guards chasing me going on like a two-week bender and then checking in another rehab, which was a nice, fancy rehab. I was in that rehab with like Eric Clapton and Dwayne Allman and Rodney Dangerfield and all these famous people from the 70s in a beautiful place called the Silver Hills Institute. Okay. I spent my entire time there. Uh, it was about 15, or about 25 minutes from where I grew up, where I was going, I went to high school. So I then had a big woods area. So I would go on my nightly walk, which you were allowed to do mm-hmm. for a peaceful meditative walk. But I would have my friends meet me in the woods with a keg and some coke and some weed. And we'd party out there for an hour or two. And then I would stumble back to my cabin and then just pass out drunk. Man. <laughs> So, and I was, you know, not to be too graphic, but, you know, yeah. there were like, no intermingling and it was co-ed and there were like all these like messed up models from the eighties in the rehab. So I was like, you know, and I was young and skinny and cool and had all these connections and yeah. fucking everything that moved. Yeah. So, and they were happy to meet me and they would be like, can I take your one nightly walk tonight? I was like, sure. And I'd bring him to the gag party in the, in the woods and we'd get all hammered and then we'd have sex in the woods and we'd go stumbling back to the cabin you know, so it was like, I was, nothing had changed. I didn't, I got, yeah. my first, I went to my first real meeting there. And just to give you an idea of where my mind was at and how little I, I did not want to be sober. I didn't, I didn't know what sober was. I knew I was an alcoholic, but yeah. I didn't know what sobriety was. And I noticed there was a big meeting with like 200 people in Darien, New Canaan, Connecticut. And I noticed this big bad scoop of money being passed around and nobody paying attention to it. So I had a dollar. So I put a dollar in and I took $4 out like I was making change. Yeah. Nobody noticed. Nobody cared. So the next day I took a dollar, put another dollar in there, took $9 change. And every time I would like, every time we go to meetings, I would do this scam. I would like bury the bill that I've just put in and then take out, I would take out $19, you know, to like make it look like, and I would count the 19 to make it look like, oh, I just put it in 20, you know, like make it look really good. I had a, wad of money after like three weeks of meetings. I think we can all agree that anxiety is so 2023. Say peace out to anxiety and overwhelm with chill vibe gummies. Made with ashwagandha root, L-theanine, GABA, chamomile flower, and lemon balm, these gluten-free, vegan, non-GMO gummies are the perfect way to change your vibe naturally and most importantly, safely. Whenever I tried medication for my anxiety, I was always hit with extreme side effects that made me feel paranoid or just completely numbed of all emotions, the good and the bad. Chill Vibe Gummies make you feel like you, just minus the anxiety. Go to vibegummies.com to get your gummies today. That's V-I-B-E gummies.com. So I wasn't there for the sobriety. I was there to get money. You were there for the profits. There for the profits. Oh man! <laughs> My first promises experience. Um, and then I just went to a series of rehabs. I would go on a run. I would go to rehab. I would go on a run. I would go on a rehab. Go on a run. Rehab. And finally, the last, the second to last rehab I was in. Um, 
I stepped out AMA to against medical advice um, to marry a woman who I'd met four weeks before. Oh, and yep. when, I, when I married her, she had a week sober. And then we've been dating for almost five weeks. So it was a pretty steady relationship. Totally she, solid. Never mind. And she had two kids. And I was 24. We got married and I was a stepfather at 24. And um, so shockingly, that didn't work out. Um, but she was super hot. And the kids were like, I loved the kids. And the kids adored me because their mom was so crazy. That yeah. I was stable. I was a stable force of their life at 24 years old. And like with, you know, and I drank a week after we got married. And that was the last time I drank. That was 1988. Yeah. Um, and about 11 months later, we moved to Connecticut and I was, we got separated shockingly. And I was sitting in my new super cool apartment, very yuppied. And had the yeah. brick, exposed brick and open beams and 20 foot ceilings. But I had an alarm clock, I had a pillow, I had a blanket, and I had a basket full of clothes and a shower curtain. I had nothing. Mm. And I was broken. And I was the first person to be divorced in my family. I was the first person to not graduate college in my family. I had a lot, I was like really the black sheep. Mm. Even the black sheep wouldn't hang out with me. Um, and I had a moment, I had an epiphany, I had a, a shot where I felt this like, touch in my chest a very physical inexplicable touch yeah. and i had this feeling wash over me that said i'm just tired i'm tired of being the fuck up i'm tired of being the loser i'm tired of being the weirdo i'm just tired of everything not working out and yeah. i have a memory from that time and it and, and it goes something like this it's that it wasn't that i didn't care about my life i had the best intentions so every year at the beginning of the school year from elementary to high school, I would buy at the beginning of every semester, I would buy a new notebook. Mm -hmm. I'd buy one of those three ring notebooks and I'd put all the subjects in there and I'd label them and I'd have a little packet for pens, pencils and erasers and whatever equipment I needed. So I really, this was going to be the semester that I got it all together. Right. And a week later, that notebook had like, you know, Van Halen, Led Zeppelin, logos driven on the front of it it was in the back of my car it was thrown out i didn't take notes i didn't pay attention my mind would wander a daydream i couldn't wait to get out of class and play like when i was younger i couldn't wait to get out of class and get high when i was a little older i couldn't just wait to bail on class so it was like it was the new notebook theory for me it was like and i had and i had an aa guidebook meeting book oh. and i said and i picked it up and i found a meeting and for the very first time ever, I went to a meeting of my own recognizance. Like I wasn't in a, in a rehab that was telling me to go to meetings. I wasn't married to somebody and she's like, let's go to meetings. We need to go to meetings. Not that she was like really that sober. She, mm -hmm. completely, but she was like, it was like the right thing to do. Right. And I just went because I wanted something different. Mm. And I found that. I found that in the rooms of AA and I started and I went late and I left early. I didn't say hello to anybody. And for the next couple months, I just kept going. And it'd go on time. I'd help set up. I started becoming, I started knowing people. I thought I had like nearly a year sober. And I did that for about 60 days, 90 days. And then I was in a meeting. And I now at this point, I'm like, I've been 12, 11 rehabs. I knew how to sound like the fucking biggest, most sober person you've ever heard. I knew the big book backwards, forwards. I've been in so many big book study meetings. I've done like extra research on the big book with my friends who they were really going over sobriety. I'm like, yeah, let's go get this. I was just learning. I was just having fun in rehab, you know? Yeah. And so I was sharing and I had this very, like very impressive share about being in the mall that day and wanting to drink and like calling them a higher power to get me through it. You know, I wanted to like ring you, bring you into my story and get your sympathy and your empathy. But then I like show you my courageous heroism by fighting through it. Like, you're going to like me and the guys are going to want to like me and the girls are going to want to fuck me. And this is going to be great. Yeah. This fucking guy sitting in front of me looked like Bluto from Popeye, if anybody's old enough to remember that. But he had jet black hair, big fucking beard, anchor tattoo on one arm, dragon tattoo on the other. And he turns around and he looks at me. He literally puts his arm and he looks at me and he goes, you're an alcoholic. Wanting to drink is what we do. It's no fucking big deal. 
and just turns around. I was furious. I was incensed. I was like, does he fucking know what he's talking to? A lot of people in this room fucking love me, first of all. Secondly, I've been sober for like nine months. So like, fucking respect on my name. I was furious. We had a smoke break and it was a hospital and there was a circular area or like a U-turn cul-de-sac sort of area where he was sitting on one side, I was standing the other. And I saw him start to come towards me. So I got ready to fight. Oh, Okay. I'm like, this guy's, we're down, we're going now. Now we're yeah. just fucking on. Um, and so he walked over to me and I took off all my jewelry, took off my watch, my fucking rings, my bracelets. That shit hurts when you punch somebody when you're wearing rings. I learned long ago, you don't do that. And you don't give them any like necklaces to grab or anything like that. So I tucked everything in and he walked up to me and he fucking opened his arms like that. And I stepped back, I cocked back my right hand to like go and hit him really fucking hard because he was like twice my size. I was still a skinny little fucker. He was a big dude. And he just wrapped me up in this hug. And wall that had been up in my life for all those 20 something years came fucking crumbling down. And I fell into his arms and I started crying. Oh. I'm like, what's your name, bro? And I'm like, I'm Noah. You know, what's your name? He goes, I'm Johnny. It's going to be okay, man. I got you. And oh. two years that man became my, my brother, uncle, sponsor, best friend, everything. And he taught me how to be a sober man. He taught me how to be sober. And then he taught me how to be a sober human being in my life. Oh. Like, make my fucking bed in the morning and like in my fucking room and like messy bed messy head which i'll never forget and all the other beautiful it turned out he lived like three doors away from me so in the morning like and i would get up and i would just walk up and sit in his kitchen with this crazy family and you know i was uncle noah to his girls you know and he lived with his wife and her crazy father and this tiny little cuban man who was like screaming and yelling all the time but he was like amazing and was and I just became part of their family. And I just, every single day of the week, that's all I did was hang out with Johnny. And I learned wow. how to do Oh, that like brings a tear to my eye. Like, it's so beautiful. Like, just, just like your reaction. I can see you just like getting like ready to just like take him down. Like just, okay, this is go time. I had no flight. I just had a fight. Yeah. Wow. So... so. We're almost there. You ready? Yeah. The darn you know. We built a great, established a great friendship and a great foundation for my sobriety. We went to a thousand fucking meetings together, thousands. We helped spread NA all over the place and AA all over New England. And we went to old meetings that have been started by the people who started AA. And I was in it. I was just in it. I went every single day, steps, sponsees. I did everything for the next 14 years. I ended up moving out to LA. I moved all over the place, moved to Maui, moved to Boston, moved to LA, had a great life at 14, coming at a little over 14 years. I had an amazing life, but in that 14th to 15th year, I stopped going to meetings. And I always miss if anybody's sober. Sobriety looks a million different ways. There are all thousand different countries and languages, but relapse always looks the same. It's like I stopped going to meetings. Yeah. I stopped going to meetings because I had this life beyond my wildest dreams. I was living the Hollywood dream. I was like making the music videos that were on MTV every day. I, I was working with the biggest acts in, in music, and I stopped going to meetings. And I got miserable, and I was at I was living I was at the for a week and a half at the Palms Hotel in Las Vegas. I was on the same floor in the Palms. It was like the place to be because I was on the same floor as Lindsay Lohan and Paris Hilton when they were in the heyday. So I was like bawling and like yeah. I had. I had like three hundred thousand dollars in like gambling chips in front of me. Like I was, I was living the life. And I looked at my friend and I said, "I'm either gonna put a gun in my mouth or a joint in my mouth." And he handed me a joint. Whoa! And I spent the night getting high. I woke up the next morning and I woke up like sat bolt upright. I'm like, "Holy shit!" I had the worst using dream ever. And I looked at my bed stand in this hotel room there's some girl sitting there and I had no idea who she was and there was a blunt there was half a blunt and yeah. I realized that I had relapsed and I realized that the only my mind was spinning and the only thing that was going to stop my mind from spinning was to pick up that blunt and smoke it this episode is sponsored by better help 
A common misconception about relationships is that they have to be easy to be right. But sometimes the best ones happen when you put the work in to make them great. Therapy can be a place to work through the challenges you face in all your relationships, whether with your friends, work, your significant other, or most importantly, yourself. My biggest fear is that I was unlovable, that something was just not good enough or deserving of love. My therapist has helped me to see that my thoughts are not necessarily the truth. Therapy has helped me overcome these limiting beliefs that were keeping me in unhealthy patterns in my life. We are our own worst critic, and I love that my therapist reminds me of how far I have come. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out the brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Become your own soulmate, whether you're looking for one or not. Visit betterhelp.com ASGG today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com ASGG. And that immediately calmed my brain a, a little bit. Yeah. And so I went on a three and a half year run where I immediately came back to LA. I stopped working because I knew that the only way I could support myself while I was going to be active was by dealing drugs. In New York, we have what are called uh, weed delivery services, where you call up a number and there's a bike messenger that comes and delivers your weed. Yeah. So I opened up the very first one about within like 15 days of coming back to LA. I opened up in 2001, the very first weed delivery service in LA. I had 3,000 customers in 90 days. And for three and a half, almost four years, all I did was smoke weed. I didn't drink. I didn't do coke. Yeah, because I knew to give into that drink would be given to the coke, and then would flush my life away. So I tried to smoke away, smoke an equal amount to what I would drink or snort, and that was impossible. So wow, that ran for three and a half, almost four years, I guess, until I got busted, and um, I got arrested, and I was with a lot of weed, a lot of money. I was facing fifteen years in prison, and. My lawyer got me into a rehab. It's a long, crazy story, but he got me into a rehab. And then he got my sentence down to nine months in rehab with three months served when I was doing outpatient and two years of probation. And I walked into that rehab and I was like, oh my God, sobriety, I want this back. I went to the men's counselor, the men who was doing my admissions. He's like, so what are you? He's this old guy named Jerry Glasser. He's very New York and he's very old. And he goes, so now what? Have you ever tried AA or thought about being an AA? And I'm like, Jerry, I had almost 15 years sober. I've already called my sponsor. I'm already going to start working the steps. I'm ready to go. I'm going to go to a meeting every day. I wanted my sober life back so badly. Like yeah. I wanted it so, so deeply and badly. And a great thing happened is that the, as soon as I got sober, the economy crashed and I couldn't get a job for two years. Could not find it anywhere, but I just kept going to meetings. And now it's 13 and a half years later and I have this beautiful life because I'm sober, because I work the steps, because I have a great sponsor who's an amazing human being with 48 years of sobriety. Yeah. And um, I'm tagged in, you know, I do what I'm supposed to do. I have faith clean house and help others wow when you change your relationship with alcohol you realize you have so many hours in the day i love to dedicate my time to skincare and osea makes me and my skin feel and look like a queen osea's clean vegan and sustainable body care is a glowing choice for achieving your body care and self-care goals Whenever I use the Andaria Algae Body Butter, people literally stop me on the street. My skin is flawless and glowing, and I love the thick and unbelievably rich texture that absorbs instantly. Skincare is a habit worth keeping all year round. Osea can help your skin have a healthy glow every day. Because let's be honest, skincare is self-care. With over 27 years of seaweed-infused products, Osea is safe on your skin and the planet. It is clean, vegan, and cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified. Never choose between your values and your best skin. 
Start the new year fresh with clean vegan skincare and body care from Osea. Right now, we have a special discount just for our listeners. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code ASGG at OseaMalibu.com. You'll get free samples with every order and free shipping on orders over $60. Head to OseaMalibu.com and use code ASGG for 10% off. That is quite the story. (laughs) I'm just like taking it all in like, holy smokes. That's the thousand yard. That's the thousand. Yeah. um, The thousand yard view. There's a, I mean, it's a very crazy story. There's a lot of. Yeah. Anecdotes, but that's my, just try to breeze through it as quickly as possible. And that still took 30 minutes. Wow. So how did you get, like, I know you're working at, like, Spin um, Soul Cycle. Sorry. Yeah. Um, how did you get involved with them? Um, well, I've always been sort of a father figure and uh, an elder. Even when I was in high school, they called me Uncle Noah. I went away to school in Texas within a week. Everybody was calling me Uncle Noah, but nobody knew that was my nickname. There was, like, no internet or anything like that. It's I just had this energy of, like, helping people. Yeah. So... And then I was 30 years old and I was sober and people started calling me Papa. And so now I'm still known as Papa to a lot of people. And I, so when I got sober the second time, I started working in rehabs. Mm-hmm. Ended up working at this very prestigious rehab at that point. It's closed now, but it was like, it's $80,000 to walk in the door. And this was Ooh. 10 years ago. Yeah. And what you do is there's this thing called redirection where you have a client who like, let's say you're sitting inside and they get in a very bad headspace, and you, you want to redirect them. You want to, you want to disrupt that chain of thoughts. So you're like, Hey, let's go outside and have a cigarette or you're right. outside and you're like, Hey, let's go inside and get something to eat. So I did that every day, 12 hours a day, six to seven days a week for a year and a half, two years. And I ended up 300 pounds smoking four packs of cigarettes a day. Right. I was taking care of everybody but me. And now I'll try to make this brief. I knew one of the people who was the original instructor at SoulCycle, one of the original three instructors. Mm -hmm. They opened up a location in West Hollywood. And I went out, my 300 pound ass, I went out to buy underwear one day. And this is God, this is not me. David Beckham had a new line of underwear that came out. It was at these ads during the Super Bowl 14 years ago or 13 years ago, I guess. Yeah. And and I'd been with David when he was getting a lot of his tattoos because my friend did his tattoos. If you can't, because this is a, not a visual podcast, I'm fucking covered in tattoos. Like, <laughs> yeah. Every, every every spot is covered, um, except my face. So I went to go to H and M to buy fancy underwear to support David. Like, he, he, like the, that's what a fat man needs is underwear. Um, and so I walked, and then when I got to the top of the escalator, literally the door to Soul Cycle they had just opened an hour before. And then wow. I was like, "Where are the owners?" And they pointed me to the owners. They're, two ladies, Julie and Elizabeth. And I walked over, I'm like, hi, I'm Noah. And they're like, oh my God, you're Papa. You sent us Stacy. That's incredible. Like, oh my God, we're so happy to meet you. And thank you for sending her to New York. And I was like, yeah. no problem. They're like, are you going to ride today? I'm like, I don't know. Am I? They're like, sure. You're coming back for the three o'clock class. That'll give you plenty of time to get changed and come back. I was like, okay. So I went home and I got into my 4XL shorts and my 4XL t-shirt. And I had slip-on shoes at that point. Because I couldn't, I was so overweight, I couldn't bend over to put on my shoes. I couldn't tie my shoes. Mm. And I went back and I started riding. And I, a week before this, I want to, I want to just preface this with this. Um, a week before this class, I was in a doctor's appointment with my doctor, who has been my doctor for many, many years. And he said, I got some great news. It's not going to hurt at all. And I go, what, am I getting a shot? He goes, no, you're about to have a heart attack where you're not going to experience any pain. You're so out of shape. You're not going to grab your chest. You're not going to grab your arm. You're just going to drop dead. Your heart's going to explode. It can't take this anymore. He goes, I love you. I've known you a long time and I care about you, but you're just going to die and I'm, I'm going to miss you terribly. So just me walking into this club, knowing that like I, my heart could explode at any minute. Right. So I took a front corner bike near a door so that so that I could, if, if I died during the class, mm-hmm. 
I could easily, they could easily take my body out the door. I wanted to be played. I wanted to be considered. I was always played and I was always considered, even at my worst moments. So. Oh my God, Noah. <laughs> the, morbi oh. The, morbidity, the morbidity is fantastic. <laughs> um, so I went in that class and I started writing and I started writing really hard. And when I was younger, I was an athlete. But I'd also experienced so much like actual true danger in my life. And like I had a. If you read my book, it explains I had a near-death experience when I was like four years old and I've never had a fear of death, but I'd come so close so many times that I was very aware of its reality and I'd had so many friends die. Mm. Then I started writing and I got this thought in my mind. I'm like, and it all just flooded, like all the times I'd escaped danger and like death and threats and things like that. And I was like, I've escaped and lived up to this and like, I'm going to fucking die because I eat too many sausage egg muffins. Yeah, pizza or pasta like that's what's going to kill me right I was, I was like this little voice time was like fuck that we're going hard and yeah. i just started feeling like a fucking wild man and i took two classes the next day and three the day after that and another two then another three then i was i just kept coming and coming and i changed my diet you know a little bit it got to the point where people were calling soul cycle and being like when is noah riding he really inspires us we love when he's in the class wow. so lost almost 100 pounds in about 90 days and one wow. of the instructors, one of the master instructors pulled me aside. She said, have you ever thought about being a soul cycle instructor? I'm like, I was going to die 90 days ago from being so <laughs> Now you want, you're asking me if I want to be a fitness instructor. I've never, never thoughts never crossed my mind in my life, but yeah. sure, I'll try. And they said, yes. And they approved me and I auditioned and I got in and I moved to New York and I started training and it's coming up on June 1st to be nine years since I moved to New York and I became a soul cycle instructor. What? That is incredible. Yeah. That is a huge, I mean, all of these are huge, huge life achievements. Like, I've had a crazy life. Wow. That's incredible. Okay. So then tell me about the book. How did that come to fruition? I've, as I said, I've had this like insane life and it's been 20 years worth of people saying your life should be a movie and it, yeah. and it probably will, it will probably will be at some point. Um, but I just kept going, you know, and then everybody said, write a, write a book, write a book, write a book, write a book, write a book. Yeah. And then I like, put my head down a couple of years ago and I started trying, but I can't type and I can't type as quick as I can think. Mm -hmm. it got really super frustrating that I was like, how do we even organize it? How the fuck do you write a book? Like, how do you start? Like, what do you do? And so I would just try to make it up as I went along and tell my story. And that didn't really seem genuine or what I wanted to talk about. And I had a bigger purpose. And so I, after all these years and all my travels, I've met a lot of people who in retrospect were teachers. Mm. You know, I've met a old Hawaiian man and, I'm called, named Kalua, who taught me about the attitude of gratitude. I've got, I met an old Buddhist monk named Al, who taught me stop thinking thoughts that scare you. All these little idioms and sayings and mantras that I have and that I use in my life that I that I help other people with. I'm a certified life coach. I reach out to people. You know, people want to reach out to me. We'll talk about that at the end. But like, I help people. So I use all that, all the pain I've gone through to help other people. Mm. Um, so. I was sitting on a dock during the pandemic last summer. I was sitting on a dock on a lake. My friend and I escaped for a weekend to a lake house, very socially carefully. carefully. And I was sitting on a dock and I was scrolling through Instagram and it said, this ad came up that said, write a book in 30 days. And I was like, okay. And I just clicked on it and I said, yes. And I paid a hundred bucks. And that gave me the outline of the book. I figured out how he taught me, this guy taught me how to do it. And I sort of slowly but surely put it together. I ran it by some friends. They're like, do more with this, do more with that. So I was like, okay. Yeah. Then I had a, I have a friend at, champ, at the Champagne Diet. Everybody should follow her. She's a powerhouse of a woman. She okay. has nine, nine Amazon bestsellers. She Ooh. published everything herself. She did one book with Penguin Books. I was like, I'll never do that again. She make, you make more money selling it yourself. And I was like, great. And so I just went through the process and I finished in, you know, the early February and I released it. And it's been, you know, they say the, the, I, I even Googled it. I was like, how much does the average self-published author 
how many copies do they sell in the first book? Yeah. And every every time I Googled it, everything I clicked on said between 250 and 500 books. Yeah. And this was a little over a month ago, let's say, you know, 40 days ago, I relaunched it. Um, and I'm, I hit 500 this morning. What? Yeah. That's amazing. It's crazy. So Congratulations. Thank you. That's huge. Yeah, it's nuts. It was like nuts. It's nuts to see that. Wow. Now. I mean, it, it, writing a book is such an accomplishment too. Like it is mm. tough to write a book. No. Like to just sit there and like organize all your thoughts. It's like, oh, what am I doing? Well, I got I did the line and then he said, okay, now it's time to start typing and start writing. Mm. And just words come. And he's like, if some of you are typing challenge they said he said record it then hire somebody online to transcribe it so that's what i did oh. I, and I use this tool tool called fiber it's f-i-v-v-e-r it's an amazing app and i used that for the entire book i had formatting i had copy editors i had book editors i had people readers and everybody like i went through fiber and he used to complete the book and submit it to amazon and put it in the proper formats and had a friend take a picture and you know we organized the front cover what it looked like i ran through a couple of you know, from formatters and stuff like that and it just came out and the first time i held it a month ago it was like holy shit i wrote this book yeah you did <laughs> it's it's simple it's a short simple book it's not a lot yeah. of pages did you read it yet I haven't. Why not? Full disclosure, I haven't. Um, All right. No, it's okay. You don't have to explain. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I will if it's 100 pages. I mean, not to. Did you get a copy of that too? Um, no, I haven't. Oh, okay. I'll, yeah. get the, I'll so, have one from you. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I would love to read it. Sorry. Absolutely. That's, I'll have my girl send it to you this week. <laughs> have my people send it to you. I don't have people. I have a publicist who's amazing. Um, you know, I hired a publicist. You know, yeah. she, she'd been in book publishing for 15 years and she was starting out her own business and she had written in my soul cycle classes. She thought, I love your message. I know you wrote a book. Yeah. You've been posting about it. Can I help you? And I'll give you a good deal because you're my first client with my new venture. And I was like, great. So she she's yeah. walking, walking today and she's the one who reached out to you. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's so it's so awesome how things happen. I mean, I really, I mean, I love the internet and how we can connect with different people from all over the world. And you know, that's the whole point of this podcast in particular is to have like amazing people like you to share their stories and to share, you know, their trials and tribulations and also what they've learned. You know, like what what fuels them and drives them to keep going. And like, you know, you could have easily after your relapse, just like given up, right? You could have just thrown in the towel. I had a very, I had a second um, spiritual moment that I'll Mm. share with you that when I got into that second, my latest rehab um, in LA, there was they because I was a criminal case and they were working on me as a criminal case. Um, I was told to go to this meeting of Criminals and Gang Members Anonymous, and it was a 12-step program that was designed by a guy named Richard Mexico, who was serving a life sentence in San Quentin, still is, I believe. And he had started this program about the addiction to the rush of crime. And I was sitting in this meeting, and I really turned my nose up. I'm like, I have AA, I'm all good. And Mm -hmm. the guy started talking about the poison that he had put in the world or the damage he'd done to the world. And I had a very white light moment and I realized that all the the millions of dollars of cocaine that I'd sold to thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of people and the marijuana that I'd sold, like how much damage had I done? How many people OD'd on my coke? How many people got hooked and died? How many people weren't there for their kids and weren't, you know, or didn't pay rent or got evicted or kids didn't have any food or what, whatever it was, all this pain that I put in the world that I now had a mission. And my mission was to help people, mm. which has been the rest of my life till my last breath in any way, shape or form possible, helping people. So that's why I wrote the book, to help people. 
and write it for me. I'm not going to make a fucking million dollars off. It's not going to change my life, but I hope it changes some other people's. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And just sharing your story today has definitely going to help people. You know, it's, it's, it's really interesting how like stories heal us. You know, you sharing you know, and being open and vulnerable is, is so powerful. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you having me on. I yeah. Think I think you're going to read the book and then we're going to go on again because you're going to be like, oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, Noah, where can people find you? Mostly on Instagram. Okay. Noah, Noah Shaw 26. Noah does not have an H in it. It's N O A S H A W 26. That is my Instagram. I answer all DMs. Uh, you can also email me directly at noahshaw at mac.com or I have a website, noahshaw.com. I try and keep it real simple. Please reach out. I'm here all the time. I reply to everything. I'm not, I don't blow anything off or anyone off ever. Amazing. And where can people find the book? Amazon. Amazon. That's awesome. Well, Noah, thank you so much for sharing your story and taking your time today. I really, really appreciate it. You're amazing, Jess. I can't wait to see you again. Yes, you too. Awesome is Noah. What a wild ride. As always, thank you so much for your love and support. Couldn't do this without you. Please make sure to rate, subscribe, and leave your feedback about the podcast. We love to hear your comments. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Sober Girl's Guide. And don't forget about the blog. Head to asobergirlsguide.com for everything from how-tos, tips and tricks, sober girl merch, and downloadable worksheets and challenges. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great day.